All right, so we had to stay up really, really late last night, but the plus side was FSU's recruiting class is ahead of Florida's. Jimbo's. Jimbo's and the U's. Hey, guys. This is Brendan Snow with Knowles 24-7s on the Bench Podcast. I have Chris Nee in person. So excited. Joshua Newberg over Skype. Hi, Josh. What's up? And we have news. We have good news. Uh, the last couple of recruiting podcasts have been positive and, and fun, and it's nice to not have to, to comment on things that aren't going well for the program. Things are going well in a good direction. And with that, let's talk about FSU's latest running back commit. It was a weird commitment. It was uh, public and wasn't public and was public and wasn't. And anyways, Lawrence Philly is now a null. Josh, he's from your neck of the woods. I'll kick it to you to talk about the four-star running back who committed to FSU officially late on, what was it, Wednesday evening? Wednesday. Today's Thursday. Go ahead, Josh. Yeah, Let the show talk. aired on Wednesday evening about uh, 10.30, 10.45 was his segment that he did it in. Uh, quick, short thank you to everybody. Put the FSU hat on, did the chop, and got out of there. Um, Lawrence Tofill is a six foot, 180 pound running back from Pinellas Park High School. For those that don't know, that's in Largo, Florida, uh, just up the road from me in St. Petersburg. So I've gotten to know Lawrence Tofill a little bit. Uh, went to high school with his coach, Kenny Crawford. Kenny has been telling me about Lawrence for, oh, already about two years now. Um, you know, Kenny's produced some kids. He's had some uh, Jeremy Powell sign with Florida. Uh, fat Mac uh, signed with Oregon. So he knows what a D one prospect looks like. And he identified toe Philly right away. Um, one of the things he's always told me about Lawrence is that the kids got his head on straight and the two of them work real well together. I don't want to say that toe Philly's as mature as another coach on the field, but he does pick up a lot of the slack for Kenny Crawford in the locker room and, and kind of kind of leads the team um, well beyond just what he does on the field. But he's ranked as the 13th best back in the country and the 165th best player overall. So another blue chip recruit for Florida State. Um, This wasn't a a big surprise. He had 11 crystal ball predictions. 100% of them went to Florida State. I put my crystal ball in on February 9th. Um, So this has been a long time out. I I know we all felt pretty good when we saw Lawrence Toafili arrive in January with his dad just to come up and watch a basketball game. And he didn't even make a big deal about it. He was just like, I'm, I'm going to see my, my favorite team play. They're, they're playing Duke. I want to go see, I want to go watch basketball. So I think um, the only other team that was really in it, I think was Auburn. Um, he did make a couple trips to Florida. Uh, most recently he was at Florida uh, for Friday night lights and, or maybe it was the day before, but I think Auburn was the one team that kind of got their foot in the door a little bit. Uh, Michigan, Ohio State, both offered and had had a lot of interest. But ultimately, uh, this was Florida State's to lose from the very beginning. Good to see them get it locked down. Like you said, uh, I think you said at the beginning, Jalen Knighton committed. So I did not. Did I? I don't think that Jalen Knighton forced his hand. But when you know a team's taking three and you want a spot, you know, you don't have a lot of, uh, there, there's not a lot of pressure to get you to commit, but maybe Jalen Knight and commit and kind of open his eyes to like, ah, I might as well get this thing over with now. So Chris yeah. loves to talk about dominoes falling. Is that what you're wiggling to talk about? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's what happened. Jalen Knight comes to FSU on a Saturday. He walks out of building on a Sunday. Everybody and their brother knows he's about to commit to FSU on that Tuesday, Tuesday rolls around and suddenly Lawrence Tolafili, who had shut it down for the summer shows up to FSU and has a 
personal extended six plus hour visit. Numerous family members accompany him. He showed up to FSU wearing an FSU jumpsuit. And it was hot it, as it, hell out that it, too. It was a lot. Like he got off the golf cart. And I'm like, I know you're skinny and in shape, but you still got to be hot, brother. And DK was like, my man. Yeah, yeah. DK's like, this is a keeper. <laughs> um, one thing to add on Toa Philly, the industry, Josh gave the rankings there. 247 itself actually is higher on him. They rank him a top 100 overall player. He's number 96 in the country. He's a top 10 running back according to 2472. So industry is very high on him. FSU had been very high on him for a long, long time. Him and Knighton were kind of two of the main three FSU targeted from the get-go. The fact they landed two of those guys, it's a great win for them at a position where they had to get good, high-level, explosive talent in this class. I, I do want us to get into breaking down Jalen Knighton, but that's about a week old at, at this point. And I do want us to discuss the running back board as well because Josh alluded to there's three. That means that you know, room for three. We're expecting them to take three if there are three high-quality guys. So that means there's room for one left. But first, Toe Philly, his game. I did the scouting report yesterday, and one, he's really, really fluid and natural, balanced runner. But I couldn't think of a good player comp, and I got a bunch of questions on it and saw it on the timeline, too, on Twitter. A handful of people said James Wilder Jr., which didn't seem right to me. I just I can't quite figure out who his game reminds me of and – but he's good. I just he just he's it's such a unique unorthodox running style that he has, and I do wonder how that translates to the college level. But uh, if it does, he's going to be awesome. Well, I, I know some people say Ladamian Tomlinson. I don't I don't want to say he's that by any stretch. <laughs> I mean, we're talking NFL Hall of Famer, but in the sense of the way he runs, kind of the ability to stick his foot in the ground, change direction. The one thing I want to see from this LT going forward is. Does he run between the tackles consistently for four quarters? Right. Can he wear a team down? I know he can do stuff on the edge, in space, catch the ball. He can make you miss. He runs with very good vision. All those things are certainly there. I really, really like his game. For me, it's is he capable of being a very physical back when it's demanded of him, when there's a situation where he just has to stick his nose in there and try to ram through the hole. It's not something he's had to do a lot in high school. He's been able to get himself in space. He likes to pop outside, which is perfectly normal for a high school running back. He's got a lot of speed and talent to try to pop everything outside. But in college, you can't get away with that. You have to sometimes take the inside hole and try to make the best of it. And you get the second level and make a guy miss. Suddenly turns into a huge run. Guys who have great vision, who can run inside, can run for a hell of a lot of yards. Devontae Freeman's an example from FSU. Mm -hmm. One of the best vision running backs they've had in a long time. When he worked inside and made somebody miss, you know, three, four-yard runs and a cloud of dust suddenly became 80 yards and six points on the board. Yeah, I, I like those comparisons. I think maybe if I, there was a player that I like to compare him to would be Aaron Foster if he gained a little bit more weight. I see him as kind of that slasher, like Chris said, uh, one cut, you know, that uh, we've seen it so many times from Toa Philly, just the one cut, bounce it to the outside, gone. Um, like you said there, I don't know if it, I would say it's a concern, but you just don't see it a whole lot on film, which is him running between the tackles and, and wearing teams out. But again, these are highlights. So they're the best of the best. Um, I'll, I'll get to watch toe Philly a lot more. I'm going to definitely make it to a couple of his games. The school's only about 15 minutes from my house. So, um, I'm eager to see him. I'll shoot some film for you guys. Um, but I think between him and Jalen Knight and, Add one more. I don't really care who it is right now. We've locked in a very solid running back class that can only, you know, become greater with depending on how they finish this. 
Yeah, and just to add on the physicality running, it's more to build. He's a bit slender, especially in the upper half. Obviously, a guy's going to get in a college weight program and nutrition program, mm-hmm. hopefully bulk up. With him, you know, you're probably looking for about 200 pounds on that frame eventually during his college career. I just want to see how big he can get, how much he can handle, because at this point, he's a bit more of a finesse type than a physical type. And, and yeah, to Josh's point, oh, sorry, go ahead, Josh. He's not rocked up at all. I mean, this is a kid that uh, Pinellas County, let's just say, is not known for its great high school football programs, complete with strength and conditioning. He's he's probably doing a a fair job of lifting in the offseason, but nothing like what he's going to what he's going to see at the next level. And I think he's a kid that's going to put it on fast. I think 200, like you said, is a very realistic, very doable goal for him within the next, you know, 12 to 18 months. I think he could get to that size. So I'm excited to see what he can do once he gets in a college weight room. Just to add some verified results for him from the opening in Orlando, which was back in late February, he measured in there at six foot one seventy five. He's still around those measurements as far as weight. He had a vertical just shy of forty eight forty inches. They do the jump pads that was thirty nine point eight inches. Impressive. The shuttle four five three, which is good, but uh, something I think he can certainly improve on. He's very shifty, very quick, very explosive. Mm-hmm. That's one of those things. As he works at that, that number can drop forty to four five seven. He's a four five guy certainly. When you watch him run on film, he doesn't have a elite top end speed, but just how fluid and, and seamlessly he can transition and cut. Like you guys said he has that one quick cut, bounces outside. It just it's so smooth the way he runs. Uh, and, and to Josh's point, like we're saying, okay, do we want to see if he can be an inside runner? We just don't know if that exists. It's not even a weakness at this point necessarily. Just something that he doesn't have to do that a lot because he is such a superb athlete. He can bounce to the outside. Uh, and, and break off big plays. I think he averages like 11 yards a carry the last two seasons in high school. I did. I did think when I was watching yesterday at first the level, like the way he was moving around guys. I thought it was a really like 1A level of competition. It's 7A football. Um, Josh said, you know, it's maybe not powerhouse football in that area, but still, still good quality. So uh, that's a obviously a really good upside guy for FSU. The other running back in the class is Jalen Knighton, and to me, that's it's easier to see what he's going to become. There's less projecting there. I think he's a more complete, mature runner right now at this stage, uh, and, and he's ranked a little bit higher on the on the composite for FSU, but that was the first domino to fall. Chris, I'll let you talk about your domino there. On the composite, he's number 94 in the country. He's considered an all-purpose back. He's number three at that position. 247 itself actually ranks him just outside the 100. He's 135 overall. He's number four all-purpose back in their personal rankings. He's 5'9", 194. He's a good-sized kid. He he runs in the, the shuttle time is 4'4", That kind of shows his shiftiness. The 40 is low 4'5", 4'5", 1. Those numbers are from uh, February 17th of this year, Miami Nike Open – or, I'm sorry, Miami Opening Regional. Easy. So that, that kind of gives you an idea of recent numbers with him. He did not measure in there, but I think he is 5'9". He's a, you know an inch or so taller than me, and he's put together. He's pretty well solidly built on that frame. Again, a guy who can catch it out of backfield. I think that's something Kendall Browse really wants in his offense. He's a very shifty guy, very quick guy, very fast guy. His top end speed is really impressive, but his ability to get there very quickly is really, really impressive to his game. He's just a home run hitter. He He's a guy that there's a reason Ohio State wants him. He fits what they want to do with their backs and their offense. And the fact that FSU beat them out for him is a huge win for them in a recruiting year where it's tough to beat a power like an Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, LSU. 
those types of schools are recruiting on a whole different level than the rest of the country. So big win for FSU, really talented kid, South Florida kid. Again, extremely long-term target. I remember having conversations during the 2019 cycle with people with knowledge of FSU's recruiting about what are you doing at running back, and the conversation always went, oh, we love 2020. There's a lot of guys we can get in that class. The first guy out of everybody's mouth was always Jalen Knighton, so they got their dude. They got him. And they're going to fit well together in the backfield. Um, when I was talking, I spoke to Lawrence Tofil yesterday uh, before his commitment. We did a pre-write. And, of course, like I was going to ask him about Jalen Knighton, and he got, he brought it up to me, and he goes, he goes, and, and then we got Jalen Knighton. He goes, I, I, I don't know if you know, but we got Jalen Knighton. I was like, I know. I was like, I know, I know about Jalen Knighton. He goes, okay, well, he's like, I think we're going to uh, be a scary duo. And there's some quotes in the story I put in there, but his basic, he basically said, um, he understands that what Florida state is about to lose potentially with, with cam Akers and Kalen Laybourne being off the roster within at least the next one to two years. Um, so the bulk of, of the production's gone and he knows that him and Knighton are going to have to come in and, and, and pick that up. And not one of them is going to do it. He said, you know, teams are going to get sick and tired of us because we're going to be coming in fresh off the bench. Like one of us gets tired, the other comes in. So he understands the team mentality that, that it takes to build a, a running back backfield that, that teams are scared of. It's never a one-man party anymore. You know, the, the, the day and age of that is long gone with guys getting 35, 36 carries a game. So I think they'll work well together. They're both uh, big-time home run hitters, and it brings a lot of it, – it, it, it's a nice weapon for Kendall Bryles' arsenal. I, I like the way, to your point, Josh – that their skill sets complement each other because uh, you could see them being just a one-two punch where they're just you know, rolling in for each other from series to series. But then you could also envision, you know, Jalen Knighton being the, the main guy in the backfield and then until Philly lining up in the slot or out at wide right, receiver. But I still further. don't see either of these guys. Yeah, yeah, I don't see Jalen Knighton getting 30 carries in a game. And I don't see uh, Toa Philly getting there. I don't think they're that type of backs. Not, not yet at least. No, for, for sure. Not yet. But that's, you know, Willie Taggart, Ideally, like this is what when it was rolling for him, the Gulf Coast offense at, at USF, and, and you saw this firsthand, Josh, was that he would, you know, Marlon Mack would, would get some touches, and Dearness Johnson would get some touches, and, and it was like a Darius 60. Tice. I mean, Darius yep, Tice. Yep, exactly. They, too. There were yeah. about three guys that they could kind of roll in, depending on situation, with Mack being the number one guy, but. You know, they didn't want to give him more than 15 touches a game well, or so to keep him fresh. So, And when Willie got here, one of the things he told me last summer was kind of he was laughing at the fact that people thought they had too many backs. And he said, we're going to need them all. He just kind of shook his head like we're going to need every single one of them this year. And, um, you know, maybe if they had an offensive line, they would have needed them. <laughs> but, but they didn't really need them last year. But but to his point, when this offense is rolling, they need a bunch of talented backs. And just to put kind of a cherry on top of the running back cupcake, Jalen Knighton's a top cherries on a cupcake. I don't know. Um, Jalen Knighton's a top ranked player in FSU's class to speak to his talent. Mm-hmm. Lawrence Tolafilly is the number four ranked player in FSU's class. Those two are two of the top three offensive players in the class. Malachi Weidman is sandwiched between them. So they're ahead of guys like Jeff Sims, who I think we all agree we think is a big piece of the future puzzle. Ja'Kai Douglas, an explosive wide receiver weapon for FSU and then the O-line class is obviously ranked a little lower. So that kind of speaks to, they just got two huge pieces of their future offensive puzzle that pushed FSU's class up to 21 total commitments. That's public. They're ranked number eight in the country. 
number two in the ACC. Their average star rating is like 89.47, which is basically very high three, low four, which is kind of where FSU's class rests. They have, you know, pretty well split. I think they have 10 four stars, 11 three stars currently. Chris Nee loves to jump the gun on my script, doesn't he? Is that the second half of the show? Yeah, but it is. That's I'm fine. just we'll previewing it for Let's go. Can I thank you, Chris, for finishing the second half of the show? <laughs> yeah, we don't need a commercial break or anything now. Uh, before we do go into the, the our quick break, I do want you guys to update the listeners on the running back board. We've mentioned, teased that there's three spots available. I was just trying to set you up for that, bro. No, thank you. There were three spots available. Now there's one. Uh, the first name that comes to mind is Dejon Edwards from Well, Dijon I think the first Edwards. name that comes to mind should be Keziah Holmes because he commits tomorrow. And he's not committing can, to Florida State. I'm right, not, so we I, can officially take That man's taking his ass to Happy Valley. Dejon Edwards is who we're talking about right now from Colquitt County. Well, you're the one who talked to him that Saturday Night Live. I'll say I this. put in a crystal ball right after that, too. I'll say this. I like kids from that school. I like South Georgia running backs who are wanted by major schools in the country. And I thought highly of him. Watching him at SNL, I really liked him. Like, my opinion of him. And it was not It was a very brief amount of reps. But I like him. His 40 time is one of those. I know people have mentioned on the message board. It's like a 481, I think, measured. It, that's concerning. Now, I, I had no concerns over watching him work in the field. And to complement the two guys that he would come in with, I think he fits perfectly. You know, him and him or a guy like Kevon Lee would fit perfectly as a third back. Kevon Lee's a wild card. He's tough to predict. I think most people think right now it's trending Penn State. He may come in on August 26. So for me, it moves to Edwards because he's more of a sure thing. As far as commitment date, not sure. I believe Zach spoke to me laid out possibly midseason. But, you know, dominoes are falling, had to get in there, and we may see it happen sooner rather than later. Uh, Josh, do you think Isaiah Holmes, you mentioned him, uh, that's obviously trending towards Penn State. Is that something that FSU fans should be looking out for in the next 24 hours? No, I think I was just going to say, you know, I think we can get him off the board first. I don't think Edwards makes his commitment before Holmes. I don't know exactly when Edwards is going to make his commitment. Um I'm not as fired up about Edwards. I wouldn't mind if FSU kind of took the scholarship and, and took it to the end and saw, you know, what they could get or who emerges as maybe a back that they love. I, it's hard to sign three elite backs in the same class. We saw FSU try to do it a couple of years ago. It didn't really, it didn't end up panning out, but um, I like Edwards well enough. If they, if they take his commitment, I think it's a good take. I think there's a couple options. You know, they've set themselves up in a positive way where they have a couple options. So they've seen Edwards in person though. If they take him, I can't knock that at all. A uh, kid that's come to camp, he's local would be a good pickup. And, and I do think Edwards is a take for them at this point. Too. Oh, they've for sure. turned up, yeah. They've turned up the attention on him in the past month or so. And, and even that's within the context of them getting the two more or the two running back commits in the boat as well. So uh, like Chris said, complimentary wise like you know the other two you know Knight and Philly are more game breakers Edwards to me is more that inside the tackle runner that that you know for sure that's what he's going to come in and, and do serve you know, do well uh, and he flashed at Saturday Night Live though that he can catch the ball out of the backfield actually he looked a little bit more more fluid than Jalen Knighton did uh, from again a very very small window but, but that was a little part of his game that that stuck out Josh referenced recent running back trio signed by FSU can you name the most probably significant one in the last 20 or so years. 
Either of you? A trio? Trio. So like a three? Three backs in one class. Who is the... Three backs, one class. I'll give you an idea. Liner, Cheney. One basically kicked down the door on doing TV announcements. It was supposed to be one of the best players in the country. Lorenzo Booker. One was a badass from Jacksonville who turned out to be a badass in Washington. Can you name a third in that group? Thomas Clayton. Uh, I would have never got that one. Yeah. I believe he ended up transferring out of program, if I remember correctly. Maybe... Louisville? I don't know. I can't remember off the top of my head. Did Nick Maddox? But, no, Nick Maddox was like 98 or 99, wasn't he? Yeah. Okay, never mind. So just to, you know, kind of put an idea in your head of mm. when you sign three backs, two of them may turn out to be real, real good. One it's may exceed expectations. Definitely. Expecting all three to turn out great is probably tough in the same class just because there's only one ball to go around. Well, one's almost always going to transfer, right? right? That's Especially, I would imagine now that gets... And like, I think... Taking three is is not ideal, but it's a must if there's a situation where Kalen Laborn and Cam Akers are gone after this season. It's a must. Right. Then, then it's Anthony Grant, and that's right. and that's it. And we all and like Grant, but we have no idea if he can be a consistent back at yeah. the P5 level. Clayton so ended up you, on K-State, for the record. Okay. Interesting. Riveting. Also ended up in the NFL. Riveting. So that speaks a little bit to the talent of that class. 2002 was that class. All right, I move on. Is it time for a break? We're going to take a break. Uh, as a tease, there is another ring ring just still floating out there. We will clarify when we come back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right. Welcome back. And uh, was that a good was that a good radio tease? I don't know. I think it was good. People are here because I gave a sneak preview of the second half of the show. Let's just be honest with ourselves. You went over a bunch of numbers and, and, and captured them with some nerdiness. But I think we should talk about what you want to talk about, which is the ring ring. I think somebody <laughs> is ready to rip. Brian Robinson, right? <laughs> we, we think Brian, maybe Brian Robinson is going gonna, is gonna to commit. Uh, that's the one that's kind of hanging out there. Um, can you set the scene for, for maybe some of the people who haven't listened? Cause we talked about it in the last show, Josh, but if they didn't know the last one that, that, that was the other ring ring after Saturday night live. That yeah. Night. There's a, there's still a dangling ring ring out there that hasn't been accounted for. Uh, there's a ring ring out in the wild, just roaming free with, with just, you know, causing wreaking havoc on the message. Board. It needs you know, a home. This ring ring needs a home, but what is the holdup? Well, we all expect it to be Brian Robinson. Something is going to go down with Robinson. Well, something might not go down with Robinson. I checked with my source close to him today, and I said, do you think this thing could go into the season, or is Brian going to make a decision here soon? He goes, nah, I don't think so. 
it's starting to look that way, meaning we're, we're, we might not see a, a summer announcement. Now, this comes back to Willie Taggart's bat signal and the excitement that it brings, and it certainly does. It creates a frenzy. When Willie Taggart puts out the ring ring, it's kind of like, okay, everybody guess who the commit is. It's going to break soon. Everybody will know here shortly, but in this little purgatory period, let's all just guess wildly and throw out, you know, the, the, the fake insiders come out and they say they know who it is and they tweet. So when the ring ring goes up, it kind of puts a lot of pressure on us to say who it is. Remember when it was Carter Boatwright, Josh, a couple of weeks ago, we were like, we're trying to think of is it Jalen Knighton and then it's some guy that no one knew about. And then you waved your wand and he's a five-star recruit now. Yeah. Bird so, bomb. That's the way, so that's the way it works. But um, I don't know. I think there sometimes, you know, we'll catch flack from people within the more because we put it out and we're like, well, you know, when, once Willie Taggart creates this frenzy, like we're, we're in on it. We're going to, we're going to, break it if we know who it is. They don't really like that. Well, here's a case where Taggart put out the ring ring, but Brian Robinson's not ready to commit. So I think maybe there could have been better communication there. Um, Robinson went into the visit. Remember I was telling you guys that I didn't think Robinson was going to decide till December. He went into that visit with no intentions of committing. What happened in that office? I don't know what he told Taggart. I don't know, but it resulted in a ring ring tweet with no follow-up commitment. I don't want to say, I don't want to say coach jumped the gun, but I mean, coach jumped the gun. If the kid's not ready to announce within the net, within that 24, 48 hours, then it's just going to cause a lot of questions. I mean, I'm sure I'm not the only one reaching out to Brian Robinson as people almost every other day. I get how many questions a day on the message board about, about this. And it's, it's all out there because the head coach put it out there. And now there's a lot of confusion, not a lot of confusion on our end. I think the, the fans want to think that there may be some mystery behind this. Like, oh, maybe it's a different player. Maybe it's, you know, they don't want to just accept that, hey, there was a misfire on the bat signal. The kid wasn't ready to commit. Hopefully this doesn't screw up his recruitment and he goes elsewhere because that would be pretty embarrassing. I don't expect that to happen. I still think it's all FSU. I just think that this was a form of miscommunication. Chris can barely contain himself. This energy over there is, <laughs> is uh, bizarre for nine o'clock in the morning. Go, go ahead, Chris. To give a little more backstory on it, we're sitting on the bench and ah. we get a text. Am I wrong? Do you, did you disagree with that? No, no, no. I don't disagree with it. I'm just giving more context and trying to soften the blow. He was really eager to jump in there. He, he screams in the microphone. He then took the coffee cup and whacked it against the microphone. I don't know if the audio is going to change from it. And then he dropped his phone charge. All right, go ahead. I want to hear it. Um, we're sitting outside the moor waiting and we get a text of, Hey, two new Knowles and we're given the names of Knighton and Robinson. Nine walks out. We talked to him. I believe it was myself, Michael Langston, Wayne McGahee that talked to Knighton and Knighton tells us, yeah, I committed, but I'm going to do it Tuesday. So we all agree in the moment. Okay, cool. We'll wait for Tuesday. And, and we'll Knighton do- was really, I mean, he looked like he saw a ghost when he had found out that we knew he committed. Well, I mean, he walked out a door and I go, so you committed? I mean, yeah, I, I didn't. Really yeah, but he, he did up. not think that we would have known that. You know, I don't think he knew that there was a, that the, you know, the, the word had leaked out of the building. That's all. So Robinson, very- Robinson wraps a visit on the golf cart. I believe Dugans was on the cart with him, obviously family members, some other FSU personnel that assist in recruiting visits. 
and he rolls straight up to his car, gets off. I want to say Josh jogged over there and asked about interviews, and we all got shot down as a collective. We were just kind of like told, nah, he's getting on the road. He doesn't want to yeah. talk. So he wanted to get out of there. But we had been told he committed. I believe he committed in that office. I don't think it was so much of a misfire in the sense of did he or did he not commit. I think he did commit. He's just a different bird, and he doesn't want to go public, and he wants to do it on his own drum beat. And I'm not worried about Pitt beating out of FSU. And at this point, there's nobody else involved in that recruitment that really concerns me. That could obviously change in the fall. You know, Bama could readjust and go back after him again or something like that. But right now, it sort of is what it is. I just think it's weird. Like, recruiting is such a – it's a rapid-fire game where people always want to hear the latest and the newest. And I think Brian Robinson operates – entirely the opposite where nothing for him is rapid fire but i don't think him he he wouldn't do it till signing day but recruiting forces your hand at times so i think that's sort of the pickle we're in with him with regards to getting a public commitment but But i don't think brian robinson did anything to lead anyone on to believe that he was ready to make his decision. He, he, he had, you know, stayed behind the scenes. His people told me like, you know, December's when it's going to be heading in, heading out. He declined to do any interviews. So he didn't tip his hand there, you know, that he may or may not have committed yet. Here he is probably getting bugged daily on when he's going to make his commitment. Yeah. All right, Chris, do you want to, um, spit out a bunch of numbers after you prematurely did so about 20 minutes ago? About team recruiting rankings yes. and where Florida State yes. sits. FSU was 11 before Lawrence Toafili popped. They're now number eight. They have 21 commitments, 11 four-stars, 10 three-stars. 89.47 is the average ranking, which, as we said, is very high three, very low four, basically, on the average. They're sitting at 248.33 points. If they get a public commitment from Brian Robinson, just to throw it in there, they would move up to six in the country ahead of Notre Dame and Michigan, who currently sit ahead of them. Now, FSU's move from 11 to 8 was fun because they jumped Florida, who's now outside the top 10. Congrats, Gators. Texas A&M, who's number 10, and Miami, who's number 9. It should be noted FSU's at 21 commitments, while Florida's only at 18 and A&M's at 17. Miami's at 23 with about 10 D commitments to come because that's just what they do. <laughs> so that's where FSU sits with their class, number 8 in the country, number 2 in the ACC. There's not a chance in hell they end up number one in the ACC because Clemson's just drafting kids right now instead of recruiting them. So that's kind of, you know, to lay it out there with the team recruiting rankings. Do I think they stay in the top 10 long term? I think they have a real shot. I mean, if they, especially if they land a guy like Isaiah Walker out of position of need, they land uh, Edwards isn't a bad one for in class. Robinson's a pretty solid one for help in the class. So I think they have a real shot. Michigan's not got a lot of room left. They're sitting at 24 commitments, so I don't see them making a big jump. Notre Dame's at 17, but I think they're pretty close to four. I think this is a smaller class for Notre Dame this year, if I remember correctly. But at top five, it's fairly unattainable. Riveting. Riveting How'd I do? How'd I do? Riveting I was trying to be concise. We've switched roles today. Josh has done the the Chris knee length, uh, the rips, which is fine. I like like us changing it up a little bit. I. I'll say this about when you kind of look at where they are in the recruiting rankings uh, to be inside the top 10 coming off five and seven. I don't think we foresaw them. We thought that they would have this kind of run. If they ended up having a good season, they would get in the top 10. I think Josh has said that multiple times that this was a top 10 class, potentially if they had a good year, but now it's like, 
No, I mean, Go you got to remember the, the, they still have major needs on the offensive, not, I shouldn't say major, they've addressed them somewhat, but they still have needs on offensive and defensive line. We've seen that's kind of where the average gets brought down for FSU recruiting. So mm-hmm. if you got to assume that they're going to add another, like Chris said, the Isaiah Walker, like landing an elite player on the offensive and defensive line, because outside of offensive and defensive line, I mean, that's really what's dragging the class average down. Is, right. the, is the guys that they've kind of had to reach on in the trenches. So if they can win eight or nine games, I think they can compete for some elite players in the trenches. I think Savelle Smalls is now in play. I think Isaiah Walker's in play. If they win seven or eight games, and this is kind of what we've been saying, like that's where I think this eight game pivot point is where the top, you know, where you can go sneak into the top 10 or just outside of the top 10. Is at eight wins. It, and it probably depends on how the eight wins look and who you're beating and, and, you know, how momentum arrives by the end of the season. But I'm with you, Josh. Like, I think if you can bump your win total up from three games last year at least, then that gives you not just a pitching point now for, for culture or being part of a turnaround, but, but now you have like quantifiable evidence to say, like, we're moving this in a better direction. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and so you could all of a sudden start pitching that to kids. I just, man, if this thing ever gets rolling and they win games on the field, like the recruiting is going to be top five every single year with this staff. Yeah, they put themselves in position. Yeah, they put themselves in position to be successful. To Josh's point, four of the bottom six are offensive linemen in FSU's class. Another one of the six is Josh Griffiths, defensive end, and then the sixth one is Carter Boatwright, who, despite the great Berg bump, is still the second (laughs) lowest ranked player in FSU's class. So that kind of speaks on just where the class is. I don't think – I think it should be known that I think we all like the recruiting class. I think it's capable of definitely helping them long term. Also, they got kids that actually want to be here who have bought into what and who they are with some belief that the future will be brighter, which I think is important. I don't see it as a class that flakes out unless things go real, real bad. Knock on wood, zero decommits. But that being said, I also don't think FSU, if they were to win 10 to 12 – which I'm obviously not saying they will, but if they were, I don't think they go pushing guys out. I, I think there's a mutual agreement of we've bought into each other. Mm-hmm. Things obviously can change in recruiting, and it's always possible. I just don't think it's a likelihood. Well, some of it, like, um, I don't want to point them out, but I know I guess I will. The, the Alex Ative, Akavich, I believe. Akavich. Not that they would push him out, but that was very much so. Wasn't it, correct me if I'm wrong, but a uh, – We'll see how you do your senior year, and this is still the well. They wanted to get him up to camp. They wanted to be a situation where we'll take your commitment as long as you come up in camp, and we can see it in person. But you know that didn't work. And they position when they took his commitment that they really needed to add somebody on the offensive line, Mm -hmm. Um, and they had an opportunity to add a possible guard tackle, and you know they took it. And um, they'll see him at IMG. But yeah, I think there's some sort of not not acceptance that he needs to have a good year. You know, I can't officially see him at IMG like this upcoming week. But they can oh, go evaluate him in season. Right. No. Um, but it just shows how, how fluid recruiting is. Like when they took when they took his commitment, they were kind of as desperate a fair word. Like they were they were hurting for momentum and they knew they needed to get something, especially at that position. He commits on June 27th, same day Carter Boatwright commits, and people are losing their ever-loving minds mm-hmm. because, one, they don't know who one of the guys is, and the other guy they just offered the day before. No, they didn't know who really yeah, either of the guys were. 
Bob. But I mean, Boatwright was an unknown. When Boatwright, I didn't know. I didn't know who either of the guys were. <laughs> what are you talking? About? I, I texted one of uh, a, a commitment in the class. I was like, "Hey, do you know who this kid is? Like, what are your thoughts on him?" And he was like, "I have no idea who that is." You had never heard of yeah. either of those kids before they were offered. Don't even lie. Um, but again, you know, pendulum swings the other direction, and we we had a podcast entitled June Gloom and. July was really fruitful for Florida State, and early August has been good, and and now all of a sudden they're at 19 commitments, right? Is it 19 or 20 now? 20. I wasn't listening. I wasn't 21, listening. So 21. They were at 19 before landing two stud running backs, and they're technically they're probably in, the in reality at 22 if we want to consider Brian Robinson a very likely commitment, um, so, which I'm comfortable doing. So Josh and I have kind of tag teamed to to look at FSU scholarship distribution and, and where they're at, and. And just real quick, and I'll throw this to Josh, 19 open scholarships is what they're going to have automatically after this season. That's assuming that there's no attrition at all, which we all know, like guys enter for the NFL draft. There's medical DQs, there's transfers. So uh, it will be more than 19, but that's kind of what we're working with as like the bottom level of this class. And obviously they have more guys than that right now. Uh, Josh, I'll, I'll throw it to you to, to go a little bit more about maybe allocation and, and where you think, you know, the scholarships are going to go and, and what positions are remaining as we enter the, the season for FSU. Yes. So for context, um, last season, the staff was entering the year working with 14 available scholarships before attrition. So they felt comfortable taking somewhere in the 21 to 23 range. They ended up signing 21. They definitely could have signed more this year. They're entering the season knowing that they have 19 available scholarships. So, we expect somewhere between 25 and 28. Like we said, FSU's at one twenty-one now. Uh, quarterback, we're not going to say that they're definitely going to take one, but they could. Running back, we know they're going to take one more. Offensive line, they're probably going to allocate two scholarships, one being a prep and one being a JUCO slash transfer. Uh, tight end, we think they're done. Wide receiver, we could see them taking up to two more. Defensive end, I think – at least one more, probably two defensive tackle. One more. We think that they're good at linebacker, kind of like quarterback. They could in the end, take another linebacker, but right now, you know, they're, they're standing pat and same with defensive back. So how, how many was that? I wasn't adding the numbers roughly. How I many? Think, were- you know, it's about seven. It's about okay. seven. So that would take them to 28. Um, numbers won't be an issue. Let's just say that. So those that are curious, we, yes, we expect a full class, could it go over a little bit? Absolutely. Um, FSU is going to have some wiggle room this year. It just comes down to getting guys that can really contribute. You know, they don't want to sign a lot of guys if they're not if they're not good players. All right, cool. I think um, I think we're almost done here. I do want Chris to apologize to Dante Pimpleton <laughs> for inciting a what was essentially a, a Twitter riot for like three or four days. You flip one crystal ball. <laughs> To a school where the kid told me it. Jaylen, I thought I was reckless with my crystal balls. Well, you are reckless with your balls. When Jalen <laughs> Knighton walked out of the building after his visit to FSU, I asked him in the interview we did that some of it didn't get used because it was about a commitment that didn't happen until Tuesday. I go, did you almost commit to Ohio State? He goes, yes, I very much thought about doing so after the visit there in June when he took his official. I flipped my crystal ball in early July because I was not convinced Knighton was actually going to show up at FSU. There were a few reasons for that. One, Knighton was quite quiet about it, just how he operated from that. But that's sort of his personality to a degree. But beyond that, Deerfield Beach and the football staff there had said that their kids weren't going to take visits that week. So it put it kind of in a predicament of, is the school even going to really allow this kid to come in, his high school? 
and other things of that sort. Plus, we were getting feedback that Ohio State did feel confidence in it, that they thought they were going to go two for two on him and Robinson. They ended up going over for two. So these things happened. But I wasn't out to take Pimp down. I was humored by like the ultra knee-jerk reaction, and I get it to a degree because they needed running backs. And at that point, they were sitting at zero, and it wasn't going great. But, hey, fast forward a month, and it's going great, and Pimp – Pimp's a new legend of Twitter. So I say next it's we take great. down Mark Snyder in special teams you wanna, and see if we can get the best kicker and long snapper in the country. Just just let's and do let's that. And let's just go after Randy Clemens, too, who's only been here. I mean, Josh said he was No, it doesn't. You guys, you guys don't get Twitter. Good. It doesn't work like that. Like, wow. But don't we yeah. have to pick somebody to hate on and then they do great? Isn't well, that, that how Yes, that does. <laughs> I mean, that, people hated on your ass, and you've been much better ever since. Remember when, well, no, when I now, was a villain for one day because I pointed out they didn't have any. Uh, you live players. long enough, you become the villain. Yeah. Well, my anytime, like if you're a person that puts out any sort of energy on Twitter, like if you get out there and you celebrate things, like you know, Pimp gets on Twitter and he point he he tweets some stuff out here and there, and he beats his chest over commitments, and it's great and it's fun. But the thing on Twitter is these people are. These people are assholes, Chris, and they will come for you. So if you ever get out there and you put out positive energy, it's coming right back at you negatively. Like your day will come and his day came and I can't believe he deleted, but um, <laughs> he's back. <laughs> you know, you got to stand in the paint. You can never delete. We've right. all I, was, I, I was completely fine with him, with him spiking it after they got the Jalen Knighton oh, yeah. commit, but I wish he didn't delete it. Cause that kind of, to me, undercut it a little bit. I wish he didn't freeze the account for a couple days. Yeah. You just got to go with it, but hey, you live and you learn. Um, he's back. <laughs> King of the Hill. Yeah. He's, he's back on top. Um, they got it rolling. Now they just got to go out and win some games. Win some damn games. All right. Coming up this week, uh, we – well. We're taking we're, our roadie, buddy. We are. I was trying to, I'm trying to work out the days in, in my mind here. We're heading for IMG Academy. Josh, we're coming down your way on Monday. Uh, Chris and I are going to room together, so there will be some really nice, intimate, close podcasts going on, I think. You're weird. weird. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'll be out there on Tuesday. I'll be out there on Tuesday or Wednesday. In spite of me, give us a five-star review, please. Chris, Josh, uh, great energy. I like it. We're in a good spot right now. This is great. Everyone, thanks for listening. This is Brendan Snow with Knowles 24-7s on the bench. I'm not going to do it. Nope. It's not happening this time. Bye.